Welcome to Soccer Morning on World Soccer Talk. Here's your host, Jason Davis. Good morning. Happy Tuesday. Welcome in. Soccer Morning here on World Soccer Talk. Launching a big show for you. Tuesdays. I don't know what to make of Tuesdays other than they're between Monday and Wednesday. I know I'm saying it. I'm saying very, uh, very important things right now that you should be listening to. No, I'm not. We will get to some important things on this show. Lots of soccer to talk about. We're going to get to the headlines in just a couple of minutes. Two excellent guests on the program today. We're going to have a Spanish lean and Spanish language lean to the show today. First up, David Cartledge at 1010 to talk about La Liga. You had the flip-flop in the standings. Barcelona wins. Real Madrid loses. Barcelona now on top. Lots of talking points coming out of Spain, including some questions over the attacking trio at Real Madrid. Some ridiculous poll put out by one of the Spanish papers. I'll ask David about that. Some some talk about whether or not Carlo Ancelotti is on the hot seat there in Madrid. Good questions to ask a guy who knows everything about Spanish football. The Mexican, sorry, the Spanish language league continues down to Mexico, although we'll do it in English, with Eric Gomez, who will join us to talk about Liga MX and some of the storylines down there. An interesting development in the Ventura Alvarado chase, I suppose. Uh, the Club America defender who has both U.S. and Mexican citizenship and can play for either country has uh, made some comments, and uh, our boy, Hercules Gomez, has made some comments in response to those comments, and we'll get to that with Eric Gomez a little bit later. First, I want to thank everybody out there on Twitter who has been uh, sending tweets at uh, the soccer Don, Don Garber, commissioner of MLS, imploring him to come on this program and do a guest spot. We've had several other U.S. soccer commissioners, American soccer commissioners, on this show, it'd be good to uh, finish out the collection with Don Garber, the big dog, obviously. Uh, MLS growing by leaps and bounds. Big weekend for the league, opening up the 2015 season. Keep that up. Maybe maybe you could also throw a tweet the, the way of Dan Cordemanch. And maybe, I think Dan might keep a, an ear on this show every now and then. I, I'm not sure how annoying this will get for Dan Cordemanch. But maybe you could throw that in there as well. Tag the soccer Don. Maybe tag Dan Cordemanch, and maybe we could get some notice. Maybe the intern who runs Don Garber's Twitter account will pass along the message, hey, you're getting a lot of a lot of replies, a lot of mentions here on Twitter because some show on World Soccer Talk would like to have you on the program for 15 minutes. That's it. I mean, we'll ask Don some important questions. I don't think Don's the kind of guy to dodge. Is he? Is Don Garber the kind of guy that don't, I'm going to ask him some serious questions if I get him on the show. I think he realizes that. This is not a free pass, but Don Garber knows how important it is to get the message out. I think it's time. I think we've reached that point. Also want to mention, uh, remind you guys that on this show tomorrow, Alejandro Adoya, U.S. International, winger for Nantes in France will join us. Should be a good chat with him. And on Thursday, Aston Villa keeper, U.S. international Brad Guzan joins us, so that'll be a good discussion as well. A couple of American internationals coming on the program to talk about their club seasons, perhaps look ahead to the 2015 U.S. calendar. Obviously, the Gold Cup coming up, uh, not too distant future. Should be uh, good chats with those two guys. All right, let's go into the headlines before we get to David Cartledge 
First, Arsenal beat Manchester United 2-1 at Old Trafford yesterday in the FA Cup quarterfinals. They move on to the semis. If you watch that game, the first half was pretty good. You had some pretty good soccer being played. You obviously had a fantastic goal um, by uh, by Montreal, created by Axelaide Chamberlain, who just uh, made a couple of United defenders look foolish. And then right back on the other end, a, a fantastic cross from Angel Di Maria to the head of Wayne Rooney, and it was game on. The second half, eh, not so great. Some adjustments made, the, the game bogged down significantly, and then Angel Di Maria made the mistake of not only diving and getting a card, but also touching the referee and getting another card and getting sent off and putting uh, Manchester United down a man. And then it became a, a, a mistake that ultimately led, ultimately led to United's downfall. Danny Welbeck capital, capitalizing on a mistake by Valencia, a poor back pass, and uh, now Arsenal's through. The defending uh, cup champions, the holders, move on to the semifinals where they will take on the winner of Reading or Bradford City while a Villa, who advanced to the semis, will take on the winner of the Liverpool-Blackburn replay. So there you go. There's your FA Cup semifinal matchups, depending on how those two other quarterfinals go. The U.S. Women's National Team played yesterday. I forgot to mention that. I apologize. They took on Iceland at the Algarve Cup with the chance to move to the championship round on the line, and they played to a goalless draw, a disappointing goalless draw that enthuses nobody when it comes to the U.S. Women's National Team and their chances of winning a third World Cup this summer in Canada. The fallout from this match, now the United States still advances to the championship game against France. They'll have a chance to uh, avenge that loss last month in Lorient. But the, the fallout from this match is more interesting because of the interplay between the two head coaches. The Iceland head coach said, we forced them to play the long ball after watching their first two games. We saw that they win it, that when they get under pressure, they tend to resort to the long ball. I don't understand it because they can play the ball in the grass. I would expect a team 20 seeds ahead of us in the world rankings would trash us. At which point, Jill Ellis, when uh, when hearing these comments, head coach of the women's national team, responded that perhaps Alexanderson, who's the, uh, the head coach of Iceland, was unhappy because his team is at the bottom of the group. Iceland will play Japan in Wednesday's ninth, ninth place match, while obviously uh, U.S. will go on to face France for the title. It's petty to respond to this. I, I, I think everybody can see the wisdom of what Alexanderson is saying, that this is not the women's national team we would expect, that they have not progressed stylistically, tactically, in a way that gives anybody great confidence that they can, they are playing to their full abilities. The world is not only catching up, the United States is not, the United States women's national team seems to be regressing. It's something to keep an eye on. A couple of Champions League matches today. Real Madrid looking to close out Schalke. They take a, Two nothing lead back to the Bernabeu and uh, Porto, uh, Porto and Basel one one on aggregate at the moment. Obviously Porto with the uh, crucial away goal, so they'll have that in their back pocket. There's an interesting item up over at Soccer Gods by uh, Jack Sargent that uh, outlines sort of the game that Basel and Porto are playing in terms of it being a, a very different sort of ele- a different, very different sort of game than the rest of the big European clubs in those top leagues. Porto is the last team outside of the major European competitions, meaning England, Spain, Italy, Germany, to win the Champions League back in 2004 under Jose Mourinho. The chances that they do it this year are slim to none. The chances Basel shocks the world and goes on to win the to win the Champions League are slim to none. 
and yet here they are. And, and it, it's this outlines again the financial disparity that is uh, at play in Europe. It's an interesting read. And again, I think it's important to remember that Basel and Porto, especially Porto with his rich history, are quote unquote big clubs. And yet here they are knowing that they have very little chance of going on to win the tournament. Uh, we'll also mention this when we get to Eric Gomez a little bit later. Miguel Herrera has called up a dozen foreign-based players for Mexico's friendlies uh, coming up in March. Guillermo Ochoa, Hector Moreno, Diego Reyes, speaking of Porto, um, Miguel Layun, Rafa, Rafa Marquez back in the team, um, uh, Jesus Cor uh, Manuel Corona, Jonathan Dos Santos, Hector Herrera from Porto also, Andres Guardado from PSV Eindhoven, Javier Hernandez, Chicharito, who's not playing much at Real Madrid these days, Raul Jimenez, Raul Jimenez excuse me, of Atleti, and uh, Giovanni De Santos of Villarreal. So there you go. Let's take a break. When we come back, we will grab David Cartledge, and we'll talk a little bit of Spanish football. Lots of things to talk about with the top two teams. We'll go down the table as well. Don't go anywhere. Soccer Morning, brought to you by WorldSoccerTalk.com. Face in the crowd. Talking too loud But I can't hear you calling Hey there, it's Jason Davis And if you're like me and love playing fantasy soccer games I want to let you know about a fantastic new game Called Draft11.com This is not your usual fantasy soccer game Draft11.com is different for two major reasons First, it's a daily fantasy soccer game And second, it gives you an opportunity to win cash. So instead of playing an entire season and competing against, say, the 3 million people who play Fantasy Premier League and winning nada, you can play Draft11.com over one match day against up to 10 people. And if your team wins, you win. Cash, not points. So go ahead and support our new sponsor that's helping bring Soccer Morning to you every single day. Head over to Draft11.com, sign up for a free account, and take a shot at trying to win some cold hard cash thanks welcome back to soccer morning on world soccer talk with jason davis here we go talking la liga with our friend david cartledge Works for being sport, mirror football, 442, many other places. He's a man of many talents. David is on the phone with us now. David, how are you, sir? Very well, thank you. Nice to be joining you again. Uh, it's nice to have you again. Um, well, you know, as always, the focus uh, in, in Spain tends to be on the big two, and, and that's certainly the case right now. Just in the fact that the, the two clubs have flip-flopped places in the standings, uh, Real Madrid dropping points this weekend, Barcelona with a big win, Messi setting records. And now Barca's back on top. Now, it's a slim margin, but you have to wonder the way that things are going at Real Madrid if we're seeing the way the table's ultimately going to turn out. Is that the sense you get? Yeah, absolutely. It's, um, it, was, it was an interesting weekend because, because I think even though they went to a stadium like San Mames against Athletic, uh, I think Real Madrid were really expected to win, um, especially Athletic's form has been so inconsistent this season. And they played midweek in a in a mentally and physically draining game in the Cup Athletic Bilbao, of which they won. Um, 
So everybody expected Real Madrid to go and, and do the usual, basically get the job done. They'd had a bit of rest, and they failed miserably. It was it was a really, really bad performance, I think, from Real Madrid. Um, shots on target were were very few. I think <laughs> I think the one that was was from distance. Um, Bale had a cross shot that hit the hit the post, and it was just really, really lethargic performance, and it was quite surprising. This has opened up several questions around this team, including whether or not Carlo Ancelotti's job is on the line. I mean, that, that seems a little ridiculous. Remember, this is a club that set a, a, a club record um, for for most consecutive wins not that long ago. It's just that 2015 has not has not gone well to this point. And and there's also questions of whether or not this attacking trio of Benzema, Ronaldo, and Bale can can work together or working together. Ancelotti saying that they're too individual. What is it that you see there? And, and and give me some sense of whether or not the the midfield is pulling their weight in this. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, <clears throat> at the more I think we discussed on the show the other week about how uh, Isco has become such a huge influence on the team, um, and and his influence is still there, but it feels like a lot of the burden is on him to create. And the team is with, they're, they're waiting for James Rodriguez and Luka Modric to come back. Now, Real Madrid, you know, you spend all that money and you've got that squad, you would think they'd find somebody to come in and, and maybe take a bit of burden off his score. But that's why somebody like Gareth Bale is getting a huge amount of criticism right now because he is maybe not integrating enough with Real Madrid's system to create and he's not scoring either. So if he's not doing any of those things and this is your 100 million man, then the pressure is going to be there. The criticism is, I think, acceptable. I made the point, I don't think it's actually been strong enough on Bale. People like to point out of his out his numbers, and that is therein lies the problem with Gareth Bale. His numbers are good; they they look great on paper. But if you watch him play, he he's at odds with the system. He he kind of seems to integrate. He's not really in tune with uh, people like his score. He's not in tune with the attacking line. So now the reliance upon it is basically getting Luka Modric and James Rodriguez back in that team, and then hopefully that maybe kickstarts Real Madrid season down the stretch. Yeah, it's amazing how key the sense is that James Rodriguez has become, perhaps, to getting them back on the right side of things. Is this a, is this a really a surprise with Bale, though? I mean, consider his pedigree, consider where he comes from, consider what he did at Tottenham that made him such a highly prized target. It, it was almost all individual. He won games by himself. He used his blazing speed. And, and that shot that he has to, to win games for them, when you put him in a team of like-talented individuals or even better, better individuals, he, he's going to have trouble in that system, is he not? Exactly. Because, I mean, it was like when Cristiano was at Manchester United. The rest of the team played for him. They had Carlos Tevez and they had Wayne Rooney, who, who they ran themselves into the, gro- into the ground so Cristiano had space, so Cristiano could showcase his ability because he was the best player. They knew that, so they did that. And Spurs did exactly the same with Gareth Bale. They p- played for him. The system was engineered so Bale could, could roam and, and destroy things on, uh, on his own. And now Real Madrid, he doesn't have that because it's essentially there for Ronaldo, who, who actually isn't doing much right now either, which is really, really worrying. And and that is the problem there. So Bale has to give that extra percentage, and that is why there is a problem right now with Bale in the media that he is just not doing enough to integrate, and that and that in lies that that's the problem. You know, I saw something, David. Uh, apparently, a poll conducted by uh, by AS. I'm sorry if I don't know, I don't have the Spanish pronunciation down correctly. A fan poll that that asked who would you drop among those three players: Ronaldo, Benzema, and Bale. 
And, and the headline is that 32% of the people said that they would drop Ronaldo. Now, look, you're only giving them three choices. Benzema is in the best form of the three. I, somebody's going to pick Ronaldo for whatever reason. You can't account for whether or not these are, are, are Madrid fans or Ronaldo fans. Does it mean anything at all? Really is these polls because you, you don't know who's voting. You, you sometimes think is there a few Barcelona fans just getting in there, you know, and, <laughs> and casting their votes and creating I, a bit of mischief. I would and, if I was a Barcelona fan, I would totally go vote for Ronaldo. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, I, I would too. Exactly, why not? It's uh, it's fun. It's there, so why not? But um, no, I, I just I, you get the feeling that Ronaldo has achieved what he has in Real Madrid, so he has a bit of faith. He has faith there. Karim Benzema has always been a. He's been an interesting figure in Real Madrid. Some people like him. Some people think he uh, doesn't do enough. And he isn't a predator in the uh, penalty area, which I think is harsh on him because I think he's been very good for Real Madrid. And then obviously Bale, the situation is explained. So I don't know. I just think people want to see more effort from, from these individuals. Okay, they are great individual talent. They get their goals. They get their numbers. They look fantastic. But they want more to integrate. They want people to integrate with the team more, and that's why people like uh, Luka Modric because he he's selfless in his work. You know, he he distributes to other players. He's he's that sort of player Real Madrid, Real Madrid fans really really like. It's like who who does so much for the team, and and everything is built upon him. So it'll be real, that that's the key for Real Madrid season when them players come back. Thomas and Luka Modric. That's how we'll see they, they will fare. Well, I mentioned that Ancelotti has said that they're pl- they're all playing. All three of the uh, front line are playing a little too individually. But he's also taking responsibility for the tr- team struggles on on his own shoulders. Now that's that's something that Ancelotti does. But uh, the question then becomes whether or not he is legitimately under fire and and could lose his job before the season is out. Is there any sense at all that that could happen? I think in Real Madrid, you never know. I think it's it's a different club to to many clubs around the world, and that. Obviously, you mentioned about the consecutive wins this season, and but look, I'll cast our minds back a couple of months ago, and people were saying Real Madrid were unbeaten, uh, sorry, unbeatable, and only Bayern Munich could perhaps stop them. And then even then, Real Madrid looked stronger. And then now people say, "Oh my God, any, anybody can take them," and it's, it's interesting to see. But yeah, I think it's, could lose his job. I think anybody who's in denial in the fact that no, he's safe, he's he's won the Champions League is. Um, I don't know, maybe doesn't really fully know the inner workings of Real Madrid and how things go on. Ancelotti's job is very, very much on the line. If he ends the season with no trophies, of course, it's on the line. It doesn't really matter who it is. Your job will be on the line there. Real Madrid don't operate in a patient manner. And, and that's a fact. And even the biggest Real Madrid fan in the world should admit that, that that's how they act. At the same time, uh, looking at today against Schalke, up two goals, two away goals, there's little chance that Real Madrid loses that lead and, and falls to the German side. But what kind of performance would you expect and what kind of performance do they need to to again build confidence that not, not only are they uh, going to contend in, in La Liga, I mean, get, can you know maybe jump back over Barcelona in La Liga, but also go and maybe win uh, another Champions League title? Yeah, I mean, I think first and foremost um, against Schalke, I think it has to be emphatic. I think it has to be a battle that Schalke should be worried. I think that Real Madrid are going to respond in a in a, in a strong, strong manner, and it has to. The fans will only want that as well. They'll they'll want four or five goals. They'll want it to be uh, Schalke to get smashed basically into pieces, and it has to be that way. I think anything less, if it's one nil or two nil, and it's a little bit laborious at times, and then I think it's going to be. It, it, the, the frustration will be in the stadium. They want to see 
galactic or football. Um, and that's, yeah, that's what it'll have to be tonight. Let me let me turn to Barcelona because they are in first place now, uh, top of the table in La Liga by virtue of that win and, and Real Madrid dropping points to Bilbao. Uh, Lionel Messi setting records, Luis Suarez on fire. Uh, everything's clicking for them the way it's not for Real Madrid. Yes, definitely. It's, it's, it's interesting. It's a, it's a classic trait of, of Luis Enrique, what he likes to do. He likes to get his teams peaking down the final stretch. He's, he's, uh, in terms of fitness, he's, he's very tuned into that. He's got, he's got a strong backing of uh, phys- his physical team who like to get the players and peak performance down the stretch. And I think that's what maybe we're seeing now. We're also seeing a system that did struggle to start and come together. And it's just patience. That's why you... You don't. You try not to mention this word crisis. You try not to say, "Oh, Suarez is a flop. Suarez can't work with, uh, can't play with these guys." But you have to give things patience. I know that's the order of the day in, in our line of work. We have to ask these questions: Is this a crisis? Is he a flop? But you, you give it time, and, and now you can see Suarez looks absolutely fantastic in that team right now. He's, um, he's he, we talk about Bale not integrating enough. Suarez has. has the absolute opposite. He he has worked so so hard, and it's been frustrating for him at times, and he's been angry at times, but it hasn't gone his way. So now it's it's nice to see for him because he's such a brilliant player that it is actually working out for him. And, and the team is is running around him as well. They they're playing for him now. I think they can see how hard he is trying. Obviously, Messi is Messi. He breaks uh, he breaks <laughs> a La Liga hat trick record in this win over Rayo Vallecano. Uh, I believe there was a second, maybe there was a second record broken. I think he's got now six straight seasons of 40-plus goals, something like that, David, something insane. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Give me some words that may or may not have already been said about the uh, brilliance of Lionel Messi. Yeah, again, he, you know, he's somebody else who's had critics this season, you know, and uh, <laughs> and people have said, is he on that on that top level yet again? And it's it's just, it's just insane, you know. You, you give this guy time and... Maybe again, he's he's had to adjust to this system as well because with Suarez coming in, so things are changing. And then obviously Javi isn't as uh, influential influential as he is. We've got Rakitic in now. Iniesta's form perhaps isn't as good as it has been. So Messi's maybe taken on a bit more of the burden um, of carrying the whole team, and he's just he's just an incredible player. There's, there's not really much else you can say about him other than he is a legend, and we should just enjoy watching him and Cristiano. Um, for the time that we have got them. I got an issue with David's connection. Let me see if I can get him back here briefly. It's uh, uh, it's some technical issue on my side. I apologize for this. Let me see if I can pull up uh, David Cartledge again uh, from Spain. But, you know, just reviewing again the uh, the situation there with, Bar- with Barcelona taking over the top spot from Real Madrid. And, and again, it's based on current form. We're We're, we're giving ourselves a... We're giving ourselves over to the notion that Real Madrid continues to play like they are, which is underwhelming, not good enough. Barcelona continues to play the way they are. And again, they did this to, to Vallecano, 6-1, Messi hat-trick, Suarez brace, without Neymar in the team. Uh, and, and we just imagine that this is going to continue for the rest of the season. Uh, you know, at, at this point, I think probably better to uh, just go ahead and charge forward rather than try to get David Cartledge on the line. So we'll thank him for his time. Make sure you go follow David on Twitter. It's David J A C A, and he writes uh, for many places covering La Liga, based uh, based over there in Spain. Uh, you know, t- there there was another story I didn't get to with David. And I'm not sure he was he'd be aware of this because it is coming out of the news. Well, actually, it is coming out of the Spanish news. El Mundo is reporting this, saving this for a little bit later. But we could talk about it now. 
while Lionel Messi is playing some wonderful soccer and he's scoring hat tricks and, and he's leading Barcelona to the top of the table, it's not all uh, roses and unicorns for Mr. Messi. This is a headline from, uh, from LatinoFoxNews.com. DEA investigating Lionel Messi's foundation for possible Mexican cartel ties, says the report. And the report is, again, from El Mundo in Spain. Messi's charity, which organizes so- charity soccer games throughout Latin America and the United States, uh, you remember a couple years back, they didn't have enough players in Chicago and they grabbed some uh, some Northwestern player who had, had become a broker or something and he came and he scored a wonderful bicycle kick. Remember that story? Those are the kind of games that Lionel Messi throws together, his foundation throws together in the United States. Sometimes they get no-shows. It wasn't a good tour back then, if I remember correctly. And he took a little bit of a hit in terms of perception. This is going to make it worse. Uh, it's suspected, this foundation is suspected of laundering money to the Valencia drug cartel, an offshoot of the brutal Sinaloa uh, criminal enterprise. The Lionel Messi Foundation raises money for children with medical issues, which is obviously something Messi himself had to deal with as a child. According to El Mundo, investigators are also looking to the possibility that some players, including Messi's Barcelona teammates, Jose Pinto, Danny Alves, and Javier Mascherano, may have been secretly profiting from the charity matches and failed to pay taxes on their income. The DEA would not comment on the investigation, but reports say the money the charities raised never reached the nonprofits it pledged to help and instead went to the drug cartel. Messi has not commented on the allegations. Now, in light of the already uh, already sticky tax situation Messi has found himself in, this is, uh, look, I'm not saying Lionel Messi's a bad guy. I, I don't know Lionel Messi personally. I don't know whether the guy is is willfully part of these things probably not more than likely what he's got is incompetence and and corruption around him people who are taking advantage of Lionel Messi in order to strike deals with the Valencia drug cartel but at the same time things that are operating in your name are your responsibility if your name if Lionel Messi's name is on the foundation and the foundation is ultimately laundering money for a Mexican drug cartel, that falls to Lionel Messi. The buck stops at Lionel Messi. I don't know if we will ever get to the point where these things snowball and Lionel Messi's perception and reputation as a star of, you know, a, a brilliant hero, star role model takes a legitimate hit. I don't know. But there's enough of these little things that you just got to wonder what the hell is going on. Lionel, get your entourage straight, man. I mean, that's the first rule of being a rich athlete, right? Get your entourage straight. Go watch that 30 for 30 on all of the athletes who have gone broke in the United States. This is not the world, just the United States. Half the problem is that you get people attached to you who want to take advantage of you, who want to trade on your name, who make money off of you, and in not good ways, in shady ways. This if this is real, it, it, number one, if the DEA is investigating, that's bad enough. If this is actually happening, and hell, I don't know. I don't know. I'm not going to slander the guy. But if this is happening, woof. Not, you, you, you got problems with those, those games in the first place, especially when they come to the U.S. Now you, and then you got tax issues. And now you got this. Somebody needs to t- take Lionel Messi aside. Say, hey, man, what, what the hell is going on here? Let's take a break. When we come back, we will talk to Eric Gomez about Liga MX. Fantastic Clausura campaign happening now. Lots of storylines down there as well. 
Don't go anywhere. Soccer Morning, brought to you by WorldSoccerTalk.com. Hey there, it's Jason Davis, and if you're like me and love playing fantasy soccer games, I want to let you know about a fantastic new game called Draft11.com. This is not your usual fantasy soccer game. Draft11.com is different for two major reasons. First, it's a daily fantasy soccer game, and second, it gives you an opportunity to win cash. So instead of playing an entire season and competing against, say, the 3 million people who play fantasy Premier League and winning nada, you can play Draft11.com over one match day against up to 10 people. And if your team wins, you win. Cash, not points. So go ahead and support our new sponsor that's helping bring Soccer Morning to you every single day. Head over to Draft11.com, sign up for a free account, and take a shot at trying to win some cold, hard cash. Thanks. Welcome back to Soccer Morning on World Soccer Talk with Jason Davis. Here we go on the phone line with me now, Eric Gomez, longtime friend of the show. Eric Gomez, 86 on Twitter. Mr. Gomez, how are you? The ever morphing Twitter handle. Yeah, I'm yes. doing good. How about you? <laughs> I, I'm pretty good. Uh, it's, a, it's a Tuesday. I, I realize that we have a CONCACAF Champions League game coming up this evening in uh, with, involving a Mexican club, and we'll get to that. I, I do want to touch uh, on the league first and, and just sort of take stock of where things are. Tijuana sitting at the top of the table. Any surprises there? I mean, and give me some sense of, of what it is that Tijuana is doing right so far in the Class and I matches in. I think it's two things, really. I think, first of all, they're taking advantage of a rather expected drop-off from Club America. Anytime you switch coaches, even after a championship run, which was the case for them after December of 2014, you're going to see a team struggle to adapt to its new coach. They obviously got some high-profile players as well in that winter transfer market, which means that it's not the same team that uh, dominated League MX in 2014. So they're they're really taking advantage of the fact that this is a, a new squad and, and a new coach and all that. But they're also playing some very solid football. And I think it's a lot of guys and, and even their coach, Daniel Guzman, realizing that this was really their last opportunity to shine. I think Tijuana being the loyal soccer market that it's become over the past few years, tasted the players really and, and, and the um, the team management. They tasted their first uh, I guess their first uh, dissatisfaction with the fans. I mean, this was a, a club that sold out every match, no matter what, that attracted fans north of the border. And it really started to dissipate a little bit in 2014. The team had not done well since Antonio Mohamed left in 2013. Uh, they had not been back to the playoffs. They'd been <clears throat> switching coaches around every six months. But uh, Guzman really seized the opportunity, and he's going back to a very Mohamed-ish style of play, which is to take advantage of the speed mm-hmm. that his players possess and try to 
really make some damage on on the counterattack. Uh, <clears throat> it's been very nice to see this team kind of go back to basics and and take advantage of of the um, the attributes that have made it so successful in the first place. Um, I credit Guzman to to looking at players like you know Greg Garza and 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 um, and uh, Juan Arango and and seeing okay, well, what is their best quality and really taking advantage of them instead of trying to morph them into players of of different attributes. Uh, to your point about uh, getting some fans north of the border, I just wanted to tip this in. I, I saw some uh, I saw some maps b- bouncing around Twitter, apparently mm-hmm. based on Facebook likes. They even have a county by county breakdown of California. Now, right. and, and uh, the Galaxy dominate, you know, the LA areas you would expect, and and some of the the inland counties. But uh, San Diego and is it Imperial County? I don't know California right. very yeah. well. Those are those are Tijuana counties. They're doing a very good job now. Tijuana uh, at this point. You know, again, first place. They they have a championship. I mean, they they're not they're not necessarily punching above their weight or, or anything like that. But but I do think that it's interesting to consider how established they're becoming, Eric. I mean, you know, the the two biggest clubs in Mexico are Club America and Chivas Guadalajara, and and then everybody else is sort of in a in a mix below that. Although there are some bigger clubs, where does Tijuana fit in that fit in that that echelon uh, stable of Mexican clubs at this point? They've definitely become a regional power, and I say this because the northern half of the country doesn't really have a lot of teams to choose from. For for a long time, it had been just you know the two Monterey teams, Tigres Monterey and Santos Laguna, uh, representing the north. Then you had Indios uh, de Ciudad Juarez for a long time. That also became uh, a cultural phenomenon in and of itself. Now you've got Tijuana, which is you know a very well-run organization, and they've shown that consistently for years. Um, I was recently in Cabo San Lucas, which is, you know, as you know, all the way down in the southern tip of Baja, California, and uh, I saw a lot of, of locals carrying that Cholos jersey around and, you know, pasting the, the Cholos stickers on their cars. They've really become this this team that has transcended uh, not just of course, the international border, but it really kind of gone down and inspired a lot of soccer fans to to turn to that team as their home team. Uh, whereas when I was a kid and I was growing up in that area, it was all about Club America. It was all about Chivas. People um, had been through regional disappointments with teams that hadn't even made the first division. So it's really nice to see uh, that part of the country and, and, and of course, Southern California um, embrace a team that has had its success. That success has been well warranted. As you said, they're not, you know, they're not new kids on the block and they're doing quite well at this point. And I would say that that goes beyond um, the, the signings that they've had in the management. I think there's a real camaraderie on this team that you don't see uh, at a lot of clubs because, because player movement is so, is so common these days. And because, um, Whenever you are in cities like Mexico City or Guadalajara, there are a lot of things to keep the players distracted. In Tijuana, I've noticed that, that it's really more of a big family, and these guys really do get together every every weekend um, after games or, or whatnot and, and, and uh, socialize together. So there's a real social aspect and, and real familiar, familial aspect that, that – people have uh, picked up on and it doesn't hurt that they're playing some good soccer at the moment as well i wonder i wonder eric and, and i don't know if you come across this and people who are just getting themselves into mexican soccer or, or or just maybe aren't aware uh quite of the geography i don't know if people realize how far away tijuana is from from pretty much everything else in mexico 
Yeah, it's, I mean, it's the city in Mexico that uh, has the distinction of being the farthest away from Mexico City. It's a three and a half hour flight. So there's really nowhere you can be from the center of the country, as they call it, uh, that is farther away. And people take pride in that. There's a sort of, there's a certain cultural element that uh, kind of, um, <clears throat> that is really common in, in, in big countries. You see it in the United States as well, where it's, you know, the, uh, the left coast against the east coast mm-hmm. or it's southerners against northerners or, you know, wherever you go, people ask you where you're from and they can, <clears throat> they can really identify it by your, by your accent or, or whatever. And, and in Mexico, it's, it's the same way. Uh, northerners uh, fight with other northerners, but there's also this big chip on your shoulder if you're if you live somewhere or if you're from anywhere that's not Mexico City. Um, Tijuana has, has been able to adapt that that cultural element into into part of its sporting culture, and you see that whenever a team, a big team like Club America, visits Tijuana, it's not it's not a given that the, the, the stadium will sell out and, and will present a majority for that big team. It's usually well-represented, but it's definitely a T1 majority. And Club America, as you said, going through some changes. They're down in third place at the moment, five points back at Tijuana. Veracruz in second place. Is, is that a surprise? Is there something working at Veracruz as well that, uh, that may be similar to the way Tijuana's done, or Tijuana's done this? Veracruz has made some very smart signings. I think that at the start of the year, the soccer year in 2014-2015, they realized that they were going to be in a four-team race uh, along with Puebla, along with Udehe, and along with Chivas um, to sort out that, that relegation issue. And, and I think that they were very smart in, in signing players that uh, specifically fit uh, the needs that they had presented over the course of the last year. They went out and they got a couple of very good strikers in Keiko Villalba and Julio Forge. took them a while to adapt to the Mexican game. But now that they've really started to click, um, it's been a very fun team to watch. Uh, if not for Tijuana, they, I mean, they're undefeated. They're the only undefeated team in League MX after nine games. Mm-hmm. And with 19 points, it's, it's pretty easy to see what has been their principal strength in that has been winning at home. They've been very, very difficult to beat at home. Um, and they've also, they've kind of adapted that old mantra of, you know, win at home and draw away, uh, to perfection. All they really needed from this season was about 22, 23 points to really kind of push themselves away from relegation, no matter what all the other teams did. They're at 19 right now, and um, their coach, which is the um, which is Carlos Reynoso, the Chilean international and Club America legend. Um, there's a really, really nice story behind his taking over of that team. Uh, back in 2011, he was coaching Club America for the third time. Things did not go well. He was kind of forced into a retirement. Um, but his son, Jose, who was uh, suffering from cancer at the time, passed away in, in 2014, early 2014. His dying wish was to tell his father that he wanted him to go back and coach because his sons, uh, Carlos's grandsons, had never seen him succeed um, at that level. So he really just kind of made it his dying wish for Carlos to go back and, and, uh, and coach one more time. Well, here we are. And uh, the oldest manager in Liga MX, who's 70 years old, is currently shepherding the only undefeated team and has really kind of turned this team into a contender. And I think this, uh, the only real team out of the four, is all four are doing well at the moment. 
uh, Puebla, Chivas, and Udeje. Mm-hmm. The only team that I really see is threatening for a, a Liga MX title at this point is Veracruz. So that would be just an amazing story to see that kind of uh, come through as, as the year progresses. Now, one of the best badges in Mexican football, too. I mean, come on. You have a red shark on your badge. You can't really go wrong with that. Um, I'm going to come back to Club America, not just because they're in third place and, and, and they are the, the monsters of Mexican football now, but because there's an American connection there. We and I have talked about uh, Alva, um, um, Ventura Alvarado before he's, uh, he's an American born player of Mexican descent, obviously left uh, the United States to go play for Club America at 16. He's coming up to the point where he's going to have to make a decision of who he wants to play for internationally. Certainly the United States is keeping an eye on him. I have no doubt that Miguel Herrera is doing the same, especially with his ties to that club. And he's in the, he's in the, in the news recently for sort of saying, you know, I don't really care either way. I'll play for whoever calls me, which is the cynical modern take on international football, which I don't necessarily hold against him, Eric. I may be, I may be, um, in the minority here. Uh, but a guy like, like Hercules Gomez, um, obviously, uh, a player of Mexican descent, uh, an American player of Mexican descent who played for the United States has, has criticized him for these comments and saying neither one of the two fan bases wants to hear this. Keep it to yourself. Is, is that the best uh, plan of action for Alvarado at this point? I think you're kind of painted into a corner if you're the player. Um, and I think it's a, a political answer more so than anything uh, because of the fact that, you know, I don't know. I, I agree with Hercules in saying that none of the two fan bases want to hear, um, well, whatever. I don't really care. You know, you might take it as that type of answer as, well, I don't really care. What, whichever one calls me, that's it. But I don't think it's, <clears throat> it's Alvarado not caring. I think it's, it's him saying, I don't want to position myself or paint myself even more so into a corner where now I'm just waiting for one team to call me or now it's just a waiting game um, to pressure the other team who I spurn sure. with my comments. Alvarado is a very smart young player, but I think that this, this his rise has come very quickly. And when that happens, sometimes players don't really know what to do with that newfound fame and that newfound attention. You know, six months ago, Alvarado was an afterthought for Club America fans. I mean, I think only the diehards and the uh, the journalists who covered the team, such as myself, knew who he was. Um, but after Paul Aguilar, the starting left back for America, starting uh, right back, rather, got into a tiff with, with Antonio Mohamed, the uh, the outgoing coach, and, Al- and Mohamed really had no choice but to put Alvarado in. And then Alvarado responded with those great performances. That was the the tipping point for him, and it's all come very quickly. Um, now, I will say this. I think Ventura Alvarado is a very good player, but I also think that he's very young and he's very early on in his development. And national team talk, and this is pointedly directed at Jurgen Klinsmann, who was the, one, of the, you know, the, one of the two managers who had started talking about Alvarado, um, <clears throat> is kind of jumping the gun a little bit. Okay. You know, I understand that Klinsmann's comments were also political and that he wanted to maybe scare off Miguel Herrera. He wanted to force Herrera into making a move. But, um, you know, this is a guy who was less than 20, 20 league MX matches under his belt. You know, he's, he hasn't been a professional for that long. And I think you need to give him, allow him that time to, to develop and really show his stuff. Otherwise you're just going to be calling up a player who maybe <clears throat> will get stage fright or who will maybe not fill that void for whoever he eventually plays for. And, you know, you just kind of, wasted this young player's talent well i also think that there's look i, I am not uh, I, i'm not a dual citizen 
I'm I'm just American. So I don't have this this internal battle in my head and I'm never being I'm never going to be asked even if I was a dual citizen I'm never going to be asked to represent one country or another in anything meaningful, Eric. So I can't I can't really empathize empathize with Ventura Alvarado, but I can understand like if you are Mexican and you're American and you have this opportunity, it may be that he doesn't feel you know, he doesn't feel American, he feels both. I mean, he, he doesn't right. feel Mexican, he feels both. And I think it's maybe unfair for all this pressure to come down on him before a call is actually made. If a call comes, then he responds to it. Then we know maybe. Then he maybe he mm-hmm. knows. Maybe he doesn't know until until Klinsman picks up that phone, until Herrera picks up that phone. And again, as you said, we sort of rise we sort of raise this to this level of this Mexican American back and forth in terms of soccer and, and and getting these dual internationals to pick one side or the other because they're Mexican American, not because they're ready. It's happened before as well. You know, I, I saw Fernando Arce Jr. Uh, state that, you know, despite his father being Mexican and having played for the national team and his mother being Mexican, he was born in the United States. And he said that having spent most of his life there or half of his life there, he would be content with, with whichever of the two national teams called him up first. Eventually, that was the United States. It uh, didn't really make that, much, that many waves because Arce is a teenager who hasn't really even broken into um, the big team in, in Tijuana, and he is in the youth system for the United States still. So it hasn't really become that much of an issue. But uh, you know, I fully expect Arce to stay with the United States because of not just loyalty to the fact that the United States called him up first, but because you're presented with both of those choices from an early age. And um, it's really difficult, even when you're not a professional soccer player, to choose a team. And I say that I I talk about this from experience, being born in the United States and having gone to college in the United States, but having Mexican parents and also living in in, in Mexico for for a good chunk of my life, I, I can tell you that I was presented with that choice as a child um, whenever the United States played Mexico mm-hmm. in international play. Um, I remember, you know, back in 95, 96, um, that's when, the, when, when the, the true nature of the battle really kind of snuck up on me and, and, and forced me to take sides. So I, I empathize with Alvarado. I understand what, what Hercules was saying as well, though. And saying that, you know, maybe keep it to yourself. It doesn't matter. You know, no comment. I'll deal with it when it comes to me. But again, you need to realize that this is a player that didn't have this type of attention coming towards him uh, six months ago. And now he's just really trying to figure out how to, how to deal with it. So I think, you know, my message to fans and my message to pundits and my message even, uh, to Ventura is just to, to hold on, you know, hold on and, and wait for the player's development. And if you really, um, see, that this is a guy that you want on your team, you know, trust me, I don't, I don't know Ventura personally. I've only spoken to him a, a few times, but as a fellow Mexican American, I can tell you that um, it, it's, you do have a, a patriotic love for both nations. Mm-hmm. So it's a little bit harder than you might think. I mean, well, some guys um, have lived in the United States for their, their whole lives and eventually choose Mexico. And, you know, some guys have played their entire professional careers in Mexico and choose the United States. So it's not cut and dry. And, um, and a guy like Alvarado should have his, um, <laughs> should have his peace and quiet when one of the two or both call ups eventually come. Hey, look, I mean, inflamed passions on both sides, which I think is Hercules' point. You just don't, uh, you know, you don't yank around the fans. But 
and Hercules has the benefit of being, you know, through his career, not having to have, not having to have made that choice in the first place. Uh, his option was the United States. Um, let's go to another Mexican American player. Tyler on Twitter wants to know your thoughts, Eric, on uh, on uh, Jesus Vasquez at Leones Negros. Yeah, Jesus Vasquez is again one of those um, prospects in Liga MX that have been magically found by scouts across the border. Um, when uh, when when they start to um, emulate Tijuana and they start to emulate the northern clubs, I think Vasquez is one of those players who um, will get a look. But I don't think that Leonis Negros is really his um, his best choice um, to develop himself as a as a professional player. You know, he's barely 20 years old, and um, he's playing for a team that really uh, is battling for its life at this point. You know, he. He's a youth player for them. He he signed for them when he was about 16. So he's been around Guadalajara long enough to know that that um, they'll give him a chance. But uh, what what is really interesting about him is the fact that he got an extended look when they were in the second division in Ascenso, and now that they had to make sign you know make new signings to um, survive in the first division, uh, he's still been around. Um, but I still think that even if Udehe, um survives this relegation round into 2015-2016, his best choice would be to uh, essentially get loaned out mm. and uh, try his his um, his luck elsewhere. Uh, just you know, kind of a sink or swim moment for him. He's a talented midfielder, uh, California kid. Um, I would expect him to essentially. You know, in order to be presented with a choice like Alvarado, he needs that playing time. So um, I don't think that Udehe is going to be the place that will give him that opportunity, at least not right away. Um, if his real interest is to see uh, whether he can get one of those um, one of those call-ups fairly quickly, he'll have to move on from Udehe, at least temporarily. But um, I like him. He's a good player. I think he's um, one of those guys that uh, will – definitely set off alarms for both managers in, in, in the in the coming years. A couple other things to talk about before we let you go, Eric. Uh, I'm going to turn now to, uh, just briefly, Ronaldinho and the, and the, and the situation at Carretero. I, I saw some highlights came off, I don't know, 60, 65 minutes in. Certainly didn't seem to have the legs anymore to really um, to really play at, at the level necessary. I, I know he's making a lot of money. I know he's a name. He's probably putting people in the stands there. But is it is it much longer for him in, in Mexico? I don't think so. I think this this might be the the last tournament that we see Ronaldinho in Mexico. And, and you know he did suffer when he was in Brazil when he came back to Brazil. But um, it it wasn't it wasn't anything like this. Um, I think in Brazil, despite the um, the media scrutiny that is also common in Mexico, um, people really just kind of they didn't give him the benefit of the doubt. But the level of play and and the um, the difficulty surrounding both of, of, of the clubs that he played for in, in Flamengo and Atlético Mineiro, they were big clubs. Um, he had to really keep up or, or be or risk being left out. Um, here in Mexico, he's playing for Querétaro, which is not a big team. Mm-hmm. Uh, Querétaro is a, a mid-level team that suddenly found itself in a spending bonanza with a new owner, with a team that with a guy that was willing to. Um, invest in the team really and, and really try to put people back in the seats but it's not a big team and the experiment so far has really failed in, in the sense that 
neither of the guys around Ronaldinho are quite good, nor is Ronaldinho playing to even half of his potential. I mean, I don't think anybody expected to see Barcelona caliber Ronaldinho, but I think a lot of people were quite satisfied if you told them that you would get Atletico Mineiro Ronaldinho, knowing full well that he he had just come off a Copa Libertadores win Mm -hmm. and he had been in in the Club World Cup for them. Um, So far, we haven't seen that. And the biggest casualty from the Ronaldinho experiment has been his former manager, uh, Ignacio Ambriz, who was doing quite well for Carretero until until Ronaldinho came along. I think he was kind of forced to run the play through him. And again, you know, considering the fact that Ronaldinho is not up to speed right now, he, he's not doing the job that you would expect him to, and it's it, it's taken a toll. Uh, plus, you add to that the injury to Camilo Sanveso, who is out for the entire tournament and who had been the top goal scorer in Liga MX last season. I mean, they were very close to a playoff berth last season. This season, though, they're they're really kind of dead in the water at, at midseason. Um, they've gotten a new coach in, in Victor Manuel Vucetich. Um A few of you might remember him as being Mexico's interim manager uh, just before the, the New Zealand series in 2013. Um, but this is his first job back from from for club duty since 2013 as well. So I think it's going to take him a little bit of time as well to kind of sort sort his debts in a row. And he might decide, you know, being a big-time, five, uh, five-time league champion coach in saying, you know, I don't need this this mess. I don't need Ronaldinho um, collecting big checks but not really doing anything for me. Mm-hmm. So we'll, we'll definitely, if we see media stories planted in the next few weeks saying that, you know, oh, Ronaldinho's not happy or Vucetich is not happy, then that will definitely spell the end of him in Mexico, but um, <clears throat> there still might be uh, a quick turnaround in the books for them. And if they're able to do that, then who knows? He might stick around for another six months. I was a week ahead on the uh, CONCACAF Champions League. Duh. I just checked the uh, schedule. Obviously, Club America doesn't play Herediano in the first leg of that semifinal until next Tuesday, uh, Eric. But we should talk about Pachuca losing to Montreal, shockingly. Uh, you know, it did take sort of a Hail Mary for Montreal to get it done. What kind of response has there been to, to that to that loss in, in Mexico, considering the dominance of Liga MX teams in this competition? I think, first of all, you don't correct the host, which is why I didn't say anything about <laughs> I, I'm, I'm more than wel- welcome. I welcome those corrections. Please, bring it to me. Go ahead. Yeah, well, Pachuca, I mean, Pachuca is a team that has had an enormous amount of success in the 21st century. This is a team that has won the league five times, and they have uh, they've also have five international titles under their their belt. All of this has gone on really since 1996. So they've really dominated Mexican soccer for a long time. So I think it was especially jarring for a lot of people to see this particular team bow out of the CONCACAF Champions League and to do so after struggling so mightily in Pachuca, being down 0-2, having to crawl back 2-2. And then in Montreal, being... You know, so backed up against the wall that um, that it was actually a huge relief, and I would say an undeserved relief to see them go ahead on that penalty kick mm-hmm. in Baikano. So, in all fairness, I think <clears throat> Montreal really deserved this a little bit more throughout the 180 minutes, even though it was a 3-3 tie. Uh, they just they just showed that they wanted it more, and I think Pachuca being the young team that they are being a team that has been uh, just going through the motions really for the past 
eight or nine months. Uh, they did make a league MX final last year, but you know, aside from that, they've been just a run of the mill league MX team. That's, you know, that's precisely the reason why they are in the CONCACAF Champions League to begin with, the fact right. that they made a final last year. But yeah. uh, that was, you know, you talk about Hail Marys. I don't think anybody expected Pachuca to be there. Yeah. Uh, so they've been they've been a, a pretty run-of-the-mill team in League MX of late. I think that um, <clears throat> we were a little bit more surprised in Mexico to see Cruz Azul bow out so quickly and that we, were, that we would see Leon bow out so quickly. Leon, of course were managed by Gustavo Matosas, who essentially jumped, jumped ship and, and is now coaching Club America, which is a very strange thing for me to see. I don't think um, at the UEFA level or even at the Conmebol level, you would allow a manager to coach two different teams in the Copa Libertadores or in the UEFA, UEFA Champions League, but that's exactly what's happening uh, right now with, with Matosas and Club America. Um, even then, I, I would think that, uh, that this was a, a bit of a wake-up call for Mexican teams. And for the Mexican media and for Mexican fans in general, it, it does make you question the fact that uh, Liga MX is the best league in, in North America and you take it for granted. Whenever you see teams like um, like Montreal or Herediano or Alajuelense or Saprissa or even Olympia from Honduras um, have such a huge impact on that tournament and make your team suffer or even eliminate your teams from, from group play or, or, or from playoff play, then it kind of raises the question, well, first of all, are you taking this, this competition as seriously, seriously as you did in the past? And second of all, even if you were taking it seriously, are you really the best team? Are you really the best league in North America? And I think, uh, some of those answers are making, are making people in Mexico a little bit un- uncomfortable. Well, I um, I, it never happened before to see just one team from Mexico move on to the semifinals. Yeah, I mean that there there is that. I mean, I still think that Club America is is most people's favorites, but we'll see. I mean, Herediano's not going to be a pushover, and and obviously Costa Rica is primed to make a big statement. And is it two two teams in the semifinals? Herediano, Alajuelense, yeah. and neither one of them is Saprissa, which is I think a little bit surprising for people outside of Costa Rica. Probably not for people who've been watching that league. Uh, Montreal, you know, MLS is going to own Montreal, but that's a, you know, that's a Canadian team. And there's, right. they're a shock and, and, and maybe their run ends here. I think it's a, it's still be, it'd be huge for that club, but MLS is still a ways away from knocking down that door. It seems to be Costa Rica that might do it, Eric. Uh, I think so. I think you will see a Costa Rican team in the final, uh, regardless of who the casualty is. I think you will see, um, either a league MX or an MLS team or both, obviously. Make the final, but I do, I do think in my mind that you will see the other team be a, uh, a Costa Rican squad and, and they've had enormous success at the national team level and they've obviously known how to parlay that onto the club level and they've obviously, obviously shown that this was not a flash in the pan. This is the result of good player development and a stronger league. So Costa Rica, man, I, I mean, I, I've tipped my hat to them several times over the course of the last two or three years, and I will continue to do so. Um, <clears throat> still, a wake-up call for American teams in the MLS? Sure. I mean, they, they've not been able to do much since Real Salt Lake uh, all those years ago. And Mexican teams uh, are also feeling the wrath of these so-called um, minnow uh, countries um, mm-hmm. just embarrassing them. So... It'll be very interesting to see. I've tweeted this. You know, it's it's hard not to love the Concacaf Champions League after all these years. It's gotten to be a very, very interesting tournament. It's very passionate and it's very 
easy to get sucked in into the regional rivalry. So I definitely hope that this continues to go on, and I, I hope to see a great semifinal and a, whole, uh, a great final. And, uh, and a lot of these teams doing a very good job of putting fans in the seats in these midweek matches, so that's a good thing as well. You get that atmosphere going, it adds a lot to the competition. I mean, it, it's important for there to be fans um, there cheering on their sides. Um, before I let you go, Eric, we've gone a lot longer than I intended, but it's always excellent. I, I want to touch on uh, call-ups for the for, for the Mexican national team. Uh, Miguel Herrera calling up a dozen guys based in Europe. Pretty much anybody you can think of that's based in Europe and is, is a Mexican international got called up. Um, any comments on, on those call-ups? Rafa Marquez back in this team. And then uh, a question on Twitter, obviously, is Kubo Torres going to get a, a look? I don't think Kubo Torres is going to get a look this time around just because of the, uh, the lack of minutes that he's had achieve us. Um, I think that there's a double standard when it comes to lack of minutes in Europe, as we definitely have seen with Chicharito, with Raul Jimenez, with a bunch of those players who are not getting starter minutes in Europe. Diego Reyes is another one of them. Um, but if you're playing in Europe or if you're warming a bench in Europe, you'll get a look from Miguel Herrera. If you're warming a bench in Mexico, that's not going to happen. I think Kubo Torres... We'll return to the national team, just not this time around. Um, a dozen players, yeah. I think um, I'm most excited to see um, Jesus Manuel Corona, who's playing in Twente in, in the uh, at a DVC in, in, in Holland. A great player, speedy winger. Monterey, he came out of Monterey a couple of years ago. Struggled to make his mark in Europe, but he now, he's the top goal scorer <clears throat> for Mexican players in Europe. And um, I think big things are coming for him. I think uh, his next stop might be a uh, maybe not a big club, but definitely a a big league, Spain, Italy, England. And, you know, of course, Carlos Sella did not get the call because of injury. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> I think, you know, Rafa Marquez, I tweeted this in Spanish because I didn't want to be that glib in English. You know, Mar- Rafa Marquez could be 50 and in a wheelchair <laughs> and playing, playing boxy ball and he would still get called up yeah. to the Mexican national team. He's just Rafa Marquez. Yeah. Um, but another guy who I would keep my eye on is Alan Pulido, who's in Greece. <clears throat> he debuted yesterday with his new club, Levadiakos, scored a goal, won man of the match, and uh, came off in the, uh, I think it was the 90th minute with a, an injury, but he, he seemed to be fine <clears throat> afterwards when he was giving the uh, post-match interviews. Uh, we saw him in the World Cup. Um, Tom and I, Tom Marshall, who, by the way, new job at ESPN FC. Yep, congratulations, congratulations to Tom. Tom. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we've been talking about him uh, at length uh, because he's such a talented player. He's so young, but things got really messy for him uh, over at Tigres and, and that whole contract controversy. So he's been given not a permanent uh, stamp of approval from FIFA. It's a temporary stamp, <clears throat> and he's going to play in Greece. But who knows? I mean, if he continues to have success, you might see a little bit of blowback from Liga MX and from Tigres and and. Uh, he might be stopped in his tracks, but he's a player who is definitely talented and who should definitely continue to get a look at the Mexican national team if no legal <clears throat> roadblocks are thrown up his way. Eric Gomez, Eric Gomez86 on Twitter, a man working on a, a fantastic new project that I'm sure he'll tell you about. Uh, he'll tell you all about a little bit later as things get closer to fruition. Eric, appreciate your time, man. I'm, I, you know, like I said, we went way over, but every single second of it was brilliant. Thanks for your time, and uh, and we'll have you back soon. Call it the long form interview this time uh, around. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely, there you go. At at the Max Wave. There you Max go. Wave for, right, for that new project. Thank you so much, Jason. No problem. Let's take a break. When we come back, and open up, we'll open up the phone lines three four seven seven five six. 
6276. Hit us up on Twitter as well. We may have a resolution on the Don Garver Twitter campaign, amazingly enough. Don't go anywhere. Soccer Morning brought to you by World Soccer Talk. Welcome back to Soccer Morning on World Soccer Talk with Jason Davis. Back on Soccer Morning, brought to you by World Soccer Talk. Phone lines are open 347-756-6276. Perhaps you have a question, a comment, or a concern. All three of them I will take in stride. We will either answer your question, we will listen to your comment, we will address your concern. That's what we do here at Soccer Morning, brought to you by World Soccer Talk. By the way, we may have a resolution, may have an answer, may have a conclusion to the Twitter campaign to get Don Garber on Soccer Morning. Look, nothing is in stone. Things can change. People have busy, busy schedules. But Dan Cordemont, the Executive Vice President for Communications over at MLS, has responded on Twitter to our campaign, and he says, get in touch and we'll try to schedule something. So there you go. We may have done it, people. I would like to thank you, every single one of you who hit sent a tweet to Don Garber imploring him to come on this program. Again, I mean, you know, Don Garber does a lot of interviews. Don Garber says a lot of things, but he's never said those things here at Soccer Morning, which I'm going to call the premier independent soccer program in America. Can I call can we call ourselves premier around here, Trevor? Is that the right word? Is that maybe that word's too British? Maybe we're too maybe premier is not the right way to go. Does that have an E on the end? 347-756-6276. Josie Outhor has been named MLS Player of the Week for week one of the 2015 season. That's a nice how do you do? Welcome back to MLS. Scoring two goals. Again, a, a, a fantastic finish. On the through ball by Jovinko, Jovinko, excuse me, for the first one, wins a penalty and puts away the Panenka on the second one. Can't do much better than that in your debut. I mean, you could have a, a hat trick or score four or five. That was not going to happen. To get a brace, to get two goals in your first match, again, in, in a new, quote-unquote, new era for Toronto FC, a new, new era. How many new eras have they had? A new, new, new era in the history of Toronto FC. Jovinko looks really, really good. Michael Bradley, I really believe Michael Bradley is going to be fantastic in 2015 for the most part. I really believe Josie Outter is going to score 15 to 20 goals. And I think that this is going to be a good year for Toronto FC. And they get it started with a win over Vancouver, a, a national rival, domestic rival, and Josie Outter wins player of the week. Good day to be a Red. Bill from Rockland County, what's on? What's up, man? Sorry. Hey, what's happening, Jason? I uh, I had to pat myself on the back. On Friday, I had Joji as my uh, MVP of the league. Well, it's okay. It's it's one. early. Don't get ahead of yourself, Bill. It's early. It's early. <laughs> and you know what? Here's the problem with that, Bill. And, and uh, yeah, we've got 33 matches to go for Toronto FC before we determine whether or not your prediction can be correct. 
But I think I think some of those guys are going to steal votes from him, don't you think? Don't you think Jovinko and Bradley are going to steal votes from Josie Altador? Well, like they always say, they never get MVP. They play in the midfield. Well, okay. Bradley, br- gonna get it. Bradley maybe. Bradley maybe won't get MVP because he plays deep-lying, defensive midfield, box-to-box guy. But Jovinko can be in the running, especially if he scores 10 to 12 goals, which I think is possible. Yeah, oh, definitely, definitely. Now, I do have a, uh, a comment, a question, and a concern. Oh, you. damn. You're hitting the trifecta. All right. You want your own personal hat trick, Bill? Fine. Go ahead. I'll do it quick. My uh, comment is I love the TV schedule. Yeah. I think it's great. Yeah. My uh, question is that Friday night, is that going to uh, – is that time going to change? Or is it always going to be the same? Uh, that's a very – that's a very good question. Let me uh, let me see if I can pull up the schedule for 2015 um, on that Friday night game. I'm going to try to do this quick because um, you, you you know to locking in the time is almost as important as locking in the night, right? When you get ready to watch Monday night football, you know exactly what time that kickoff is, whether it's on the East Coast or the West Coast, and those exactly. those West Coast people just got to deal with it. But here we go. Okay, you know what? Most of these are the same, but okay, here we go. March 6th. Okay, so we just got done with March 6th. That was a 10 o'clock start, so that was a late one. It it does move around a little bit, uh, but for the next one, two, three, four, five weeks, all all of those games are at 7 o'clock Eastern. You've, got, right, you've cool. actually got a double header on April 24th, 8 and 10. A double header on May for a double header for three weeks in a row, 8 and 10. Uh, That's another double header, seven and nine on May 15th, double header, eight and 10 on May 22nd. They, they move around a little bit. They get a little bit, they slide a little bit later, later in the year. So nine o'clock starts for, uh, for May and June, it looks like, and a couple other double headers. And then late, late, late in the year through, uh, well, through later in the season, ju- through July and August, 11 o'clock starts and September's back to seven o'clock starts. So it moves around, but at least you get a, a string of weeks where it's the same every week for four or five weeks. Yeah, no, that's great. Great. And, and my concern. Yes. Are you and uh, Jared going to get on to this schedule? Are you going to follow along and move your uh, best soccer show to 9 o'clock? Uh, or yeah, you know, that's a good question. Uh, we obviously did a show live 9 o'clock this past Sunday um, in the middle of a couple of things happening in MLS. There was uh, you know, actually three games that day. We won't have that normally. But we will be up against MLS games every Sunday. That's going to be tough. And somebody asked me about that already, Bill. The problem is that both of us, both of us have families, and it's hard when you've got families to try to move things around. So I, we'll look into it, but I can't make any promises. I hear you. Excellent. Thanks. Right. Appreciate the call, Bill. Thanks a lot. Bill from Rockland County joining in. 347-756-6276. Got a couple of uh, questions and concerns and and comments, you could drop them in here. We've obviously had a nice day talking a little Liga, La Liga with David Cartledge, a lot of Liga MX and Mexican soccer with our, our friend Eric Gomez. Again, follow both of those guys. Wonderful resources on their uh, particular areas of expertise. Um, it looks like we may be able to get Don Garber on this show. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm sort of astounded by the success. I think I really think it's about Dan Kordomach being annoyed by all of the tweets because. I'm pretty sure the man's monitoring the Don's Twitter handle. So, so again, full credit to the Soccer Morning audience for jumping on board and hitting him up. And, and, and you know, this is what I found last night. Trevor, I'm sure you already know this. Trevor's the guy that tracks, you know, how many people we have listening and when they listen and, and when they download the show and all of those things. I, I really don't concern myself with that. I got enough going on as it is with all this move, all these moving parts. 
But I noticed that there was like a rash of tweets all around the same around the same time last night. So I think that means like everybody downloads downloads the podcast version of the show at roughly the same time, like like eight, eight o'clock east or uh, West Coast time gets it starts tweeting at eleven o'clock Eastern time. It was an interesting little uh, um, uh, little revelation for me. Also on that front, uh, yeah, Trevor also tweeted from the account of the show, right? Also on that front, uh, turns out Trevor told me this Friday's episode of this show. Our cavalcade of stars, our, our day of a thousand pundits, whatever you want to call it, parade of pundits, I think Trevor had it, is our number one most downloaded show of all time. I don't know the number. doesn't really matter. Top show we've ever had. More than 75 people downloaded that show. So I am excited uh, that that came off and that we uh, that it was a popular, uh, a popular exercise. Maybe we'll have to bring that back. And I mentioned this on Twitter this morning, Trevor. This is on you as much as it all, it's on me, and, uh, and we can ask uh, we can ask the uh, listeners. We'll ask you people out there as well. Soccer Morning is coming up on its second anniversary. We launched this show as American Soccer Morning, um, uh, in the first week of April 2013. I think it might have been April second, 2013. We're rapidly approaching that date, about three weeks out. How do we celebrate our second anniversary? How do we celebrate? going into a third year of doing a daily soccer show for an American audience about the world's game. What should we do? Should we bring back special guests? Is there anybody you remember on this show that we haven't had in a while or that was a special appearance that should be on this show? Is there a caller or two? Maybe I should maybe I should let somebody else host the show for a day. Without, <laughs> I'll take the day off. I mean, it's our anniversary. I get to go... Relax, right? Isn't that how that should go? Maybe there's a special topic you want covered. Maybe we can uh, maybe we can line up something special. I don't know. Maybe we can pull some audio, which is time intensive, but hey, you know what? I'll do it if we have to. What do you want us to do? Hit us up at Soccer Morning uh, for your ideas on the anniversary show, and we will uh, take them under consideration. Again, thank you very much to David Cartledge. Eric Gomez, Bill from Rockland County, the rest of you people who were too busy to call, uh, I still love you. We'll talk to you guys tomorrow. Again, Alejandro Bedoya on this show tomorrow. That should be excellent. American winger plays for Nantes in France. One of the few Americans left in Europe these days. And the German contingent. I forgot about them the other day. Uh, thanks a lot for listening. Go get a, a soccer morning mug, backheel.com slash store. Go get a t-shirt at 3nilfc.com. Subscribe to the podcast. Whether you listen to it that way or not, subscribe to the podcast. Give us a rating and a review. We'll talk to you guys tomorrow. Bye.